If you take your scriptures and turn with Philippians chapter 4, we will be reading the entire chapter, verses 1 through 23. Philippians 4. If you would give, re- give your attention to the reading of God's word. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I employ Eudi and I employ Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you share in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Aphrodite the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling savor, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in the Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Granted us this morning, Father a deeper understanding of this glorious gospel you have given us through your only begotten Son. We come to your word for that knowledge. We know from the Apostle Peter, these words of prophecy never had their origin in the will of men, but those men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Help us to take these words and learn from them. Grant us the grace we need to apply their wisdom in our lives. We thank you, Father, this morning for the opportunity to hear from your word. We bring our request in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul 
just thank the Philippians for their generous gift. In closing this letter, he tells them with great joy that his God shall supply all they need. His foundation for this statement is their faith in responding to his need. He's not speaking only of the financial need, but of the many other needs that he had. He says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The question for you, is this true? Or is it just a platitude? Is this something Paul is, is throwing out because it sounds so spiritual? Is this really to be a part of your daily life as a believer? In this something, is this something you really think matters to you and matters in your life? Does your God supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus? This has to stand in all of Scripture as one of the greatest promises of all times, especially to believers. This should be seen as a great statement of assurance. In holding to this, there are some things you must remember. First, you must keep in mind your God does not change. What he declared to the Philippians, he also says to you. He is the same today as he was yesterday and will be tomorrow. Second, you must also remember, God never shows favorites. The Philippians were living under the same principles as you are required to live your life. Third, you must understand the message to the Philippians is exactly the same message that's being delivered to you. Time makes no changes in this eternal gospel. Now I'm afraid it would be very difficult, if not impossible, for many Christians today to write a, com a compatible uh, exhortation as Paul does in verse 19. He calls for needs to be met. I have heard many say things like, I tried that once. It didn't work. Well, my answer is this. If you prepared, if you asked God's help, if you tried to obey God's word and you didn't hear his answer, the problem was in your heart. It wasn't from God. God is the same and his power is the same today as when he wrote this letter. The problem comes when there is a fear to trust in God. To stand in the face of terrible circumstances and say, I trust God. When there is a lack of faith in him to supply. Many people don't give to God simply because they're so concerned with taking care of themselves. They spend so much time and energy on themselves until they forget God. Thus, when a really important need arises, they don't know how to lay that need before God. Please hear this. God never asks you to act foolishly with the resources he entrusts to you. He calls on you to live first for him. He desires you to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to be concerned about the needs of others 
His plan is for you to support his work, to care for those around you, those he called to serve you. In looking at this verse, you must see and grow in your understanding of what it means to have God as your great supplier. First, you learn it is God and God alone you must place your trust in. Second, you understand what needs really are. You know, we have a bad habit of mixing needs and wants. Third, you see from where the source of these supplies emanate, his glorious riches. Fourth, I hope you will note in whom these riches are contained, Jesus Christ. Paul begins this verse with the words, my God. These are very important words. Here is a statement, a statement of unwavering devotion. Paul sees God as his personal God. This was the God that led Paul through a difficult life, never abandoning him, but was always there to deliver him. It was this God that in so many circumstances brought discipline to his life. This is the God Paul experienced personally on the Damascus Road. This is his God. Paul was not standing on any philosophical ideas about God. He didn't see him as some faraway unknown God. This is the God who changed the course of Paul's life. It was this God who showed him what real, the real quality of life was. This was the God who laid out for him the destiny of his life. This God presented to him a whole new way of looking at the world, of seeing eternity, of understanding everything about life. Paul proudly declares, My God whom I have come to know, he is my God. I want you to ask yourself, can you speak of God in such personal terms? It's imperative that you come to the place you can. This should be the great aim of every believer. You need to come into a personal, into a living relationship with God through your Lord Jesus Christ. If you can't see that happening in your life, you need to return to the basic principles of Christianity. You need to examine your heart, see the sin there, Read the scripture and hear the promises of Jesus Christ. You must acknowledge your need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. Call out to Jesus. Confess your sins. Ask his forgiveness and repent of those sins. Well, this is the only way to begin building a personal and an intimate relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. Paul saw God as the great and supreme God who was worthy of all his love, adoration, and worship. He saw God as the one in whom he could glory. Paul saw that there was something wonderful about God, something simply overwhelming about him. It overwhelmed Paul with joy. It was this joy that sparked in him a desire to write and to reveal what God meant to him. You understand If you want to witness to others, that's what witnessing is. It's simply telling others what God means to you, how God has affected your life, what Jesus Christ did for you. Those are simple things. You don't have to have a bunch of scripture to be able to do that. 
It's nice if you have some with it, but it don't have to be there. Just simply tell them who you see Jesus as, what he means to you. That's witnessing what he's done for me. He can do for you also. It was this joy that sparked in him a desire to write and reveal what God meant to him. Paul, through the years, experienced the faithfulness of God in so many ways. Paul saw that even when he failed, God's faithfulness never let him down. He learned of both the faithfulness of God and the mercy of God. God was the one who worked in Paul's heart to change him. It was by God's power Paul was enabled to go out and go forth and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. To let others know what had happened in his life. God gave him all he needed to carry out this great task he was given. And my friends, he's given it to you too. He's given you the grace of Jesus Christ. Take that grace. Let it be to you a symbol of what you need to be doing. And that's telling others about Jesus Christ so they can have that faith also. Paul also learned something else about God. Something more wonderful than his heart could hold. He found God loved him so much and manifested his love in so many different ways. The greatest of these is the giving of his only begotten son on Calvary's cross. With all of this in Paul's heart and on his mind, he writes, My God. This shows Paul's warmth. He knew his God was the God of creation and the God of providence over all of life. He also saw he was the God of grace and the God who provided forgiveness freely and completely. He was the God who justified men. He was the God who gave eternal life. Can you rejoice with Paul in this God? I hope you can. I hope it means something to you. If you can't, I call you to hear the gospel message. Repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ. There is no other name given heaven, in heaven or under heaven whereby men can be saved. Jesus Christ is the one you place your hope, your trust in. Christ and Christ alone. It is only in this salvation that God will become your God in such a personal and intimate way. I've heard some say, they don't want such a personal relationship with a God who allows such pain and suffering to fill this world. What they have missed is that God did not create this world to have pain and suffering. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and came to that garden every day to fellowship with his creatures. He showed them his love every day. He made a covenant with man. He told him if he stayed in the garden and didn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would live forever in this paradise, free from pain and suffering. God warned him that if he disobeyed, he would die. And all the pain and suffering that went with that would fall on him and all of his descendants. Now we know Adam didn't fall over dead the moment he disobeyed God, but he died spiritually. He lost that relationship with God. He no longer had a personal relationship with God. Man bought, brought the pain and suffering we see so much of into this world through his disobedience. But all men can take hope. 
hope that this pain and suffering will not last. God in his great love for his creation and his creatures promised in Genesis 3.15 to send one to take that pain and suffering on himself and free those men who would hear and believe in this one sent. Don't blame God for the evil in this world today. It is man who is guilty. But take heart and hear this glorious message that God sent his only begotten son to save all who would look to him and trust in his promise of a new paradise for those who would believe. A place where we are told there will be no pain or suffering and tears will never be there again. It is upon this very promise that Paul built his relationship with God. You can do that too. After acknowledging his adoration of God and his intimate connection to God, Paul tells the people, and my God shall supply all your needs. Indeed, this is a great promise. However, you must learn to see what your true need is. There is not a hint here that God will supply all of your wants. And we have a lot of wants. In our affluent world, some people have trouble separating needs from wants. The thing truly needed are those things that will allow you to live your life for God's glory. That should be the desire of every Christian, is that every thought, word, and deed would bring glory to my Lord. We fail miserably at it, but he promises if we keep working at it, it will be a sign of our love for him. Sometimes that may not include the comforts of life or even some of the necessities of life. The real things needed to glorify God are overcoming sin, growing into the likeness of Christ, resisting temptations, having courage to stand for Jesus Christ, enduring affliction for the sake of the Lord, and maybe even facing death in his name. These are the things that bring you face to face with Jesus Christ and open the glory of heaven. These are the things in this life that give you peace, a peace that passes all understanding. All of these things are your real needs. And Paul is saying, my God shall supply all you need. Isn't that a wonderful thought? God's going to supply what I need. All I need to do is stay in faith and trust of him and in him alone. Don't worry about the circumstances around you. Look to him and he will supply what you need. Paul says, God in his mercy will provide all you need. The inner strength, the comfort and power to live to the glory of God in the circumstances in which he places you. It's clear from the scripture. Deliverance from evil is at times God's purpose in someone's life. Remember Peter. Peter was arrested by King Herod. He was scheduled to be executed. But God sent an angel and released him. However, at other times, he will allow one of his children to suffer and die. James was arrested by Herod also. And God allowed him to be executed. There's one truth in this 
It's important to remember. God will repay every sacrifice you make. What you sow, you will reap. Not only in this life, but far more in eternity. Peter was released. He walked out of that jail free. Look at how God used him. Now Peter had his problems, but still God used him greatly to bring the gospel to the Jewish people of that day. What about James? James was executed. He was used as a martyr to show people how much he loved Jesus Christ and he was willing to lay his life down for him. So both men, God used in his own way to bring glory to him. In Luke 18, verses 29 through 30, Jesus told his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in the age to come eternal life. So, whether you sow spiritually, financially, emotionally, or in any way, God will not be unmindful. He will repay Understand, you can never give to God simply to get. God knows your heart. He understands your motive and always responds accordingly. The needs of the true believer will be met by your God. God is a very gracious and merciful God and has untold riches to bless his people with. Paul calls them his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God is gracious, merciful, holy, and unchangeable. It's this God who gave his children the inner strength, comfort, and power to live in and through the circumstances he allows in their lives. You must understand the Christian life is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to experience the resources of God in your own special circumstances, however difficult they may be. How do you find these resources? There's only one way. You find them by relating your life to God. You do that through study, through prayer. You must pray with importunity. Now what does that mean? Luke 11, verses 5 through 8. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, My friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey And I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many loaves as he wants. This is importunity. The word in the Greek for importunity means persistence or a shameless and continuing asking. The New King King James translates it persistence. So how do you use importunity for God? The only way to know what God's promises are is to come with persistence in asking God to fulfill those promises. In other words, God's made a promise. You continue to ask him to fulfill that promise in you until it's filled. Don't give up. That's importunity. You're showing your real desire 
to have that promise. God will always honor his promises. But they're going to be on his timetable, not yours. When you pray, pray within the context of the promises of Scripture and don't give up. Pray continually. Pray boldly with persistence. God promised. If we ask, he will answer. As long as we ask according to his will. How are you to know his will? You must study his word. His will is written throughout that word. When you come to prayer, you must remind yourself of his promises. As you pray, you continually base your plea on his promise. That's not some quick formula for answered prayer either. You can quote all the scripture in your prayer you think appropriate. That's all well and good. But what God is looking at is your heart commitment to his word. If in your heart the promises of God are the foundation upon which you're praying, God will know, he will hear, and he will answer your prayer. This is why it is of the utmost importance that you take time to study God's word. This is the foundation of your relationship with him. It's important that you also understand you have to live out in practice the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who is in residence in your new heart. You need to make sure. Make sure you don't make the mistake of believing. By your own efforts. By sheer willpower. Or by stoicism. You can attain anything from God. You have to remember. It is only by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Who indwells you. That the promises of the word. Can be applied to your life. It's only through the Holy Spirit. You can find the resources of God. Paul's life is the best example of this we have. He underwent great hardship. Hardships throughout his life. He's telling you that even if you are in prison, even if you are under the threat of execution, or in any other circumstance, you will find you have the ability to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you will study God's word and pray accordingly, he will answer Paul says this has been proved throughout his life. Paul was really adamant about this. You can hear it in this verse. And my God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God created a storehouse of riches for his children. He gives to them according to his will the very things they need to glorify him. He is a generous God and gives bountifully. This is the whole idea behind what Paul is declaring. Is all of this true? If it is, are you living your life today as though you're in the presence of a God who is unlimited? Do you understand what that means? Our God is unlimited. He can do anything. And he does it for his children. I can tell you I find it almost impossible to do. The fault is in me, never in God. We have such a hard time living in the right way. What do you do when you try and fail? That's one of the big questions. You need to examine your heart. What do you do 
when you try and fail. You get up. You turn back to God. You repent because of your unbelief. God gave so many great examples of his faithfulness. In the scripture, you find Joseph and God's great watch care over him. You can find the children of Israel and their deliverance from Egypt. You can find the nation of Judah in captivity in Babylon. And God raises up Cyrus, a pagan king, to deliver them and help them to rebuild the temple. Paul and his friends are delivered from the storm at sea. When God decides it's time to change the situation, he can come in because there's no force, no power that can resist him. The answer for you in your failure is to return to an absolute trust in God for he and he alone can meet all of your needs. You must see that God supplies all of your needs. He has unlimited ways and means by which he can meet your needs. The Bible teaches God gives you strength and comfort. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in weakness. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Let me ask you a question. Do you come to church with an expectation that God will meet you to encourage and strengthen you? Do you believe he will meet your spiritual needs through the means given? Such means as his preached word, communion, prayer, and worship. Paul says, my God shall supply all you need. So if you don't find the answer to your need at first, then you must try and try again. You're clearly told, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. You must be like the man who was importuned. You must be persistent, showing even in times of utter darkness, you trust in God and in him alone to provide the resources for your life. You keep going to God's word to study and coming before his throne in prayer without wavering. Those who come in this way, they will never go away disappointed. One of the greatest problems with all of this is your tendency to forget. Paul speaks of Christ's riches and glory. Here's the glorious store, glory resources stored in heaven to help you. This is what you tend to forget about. We all do it. You fail in your trust because you forget who Christ is, what he really did for you. The extent of God's giving is always measured in the gift of his Holy Spirit. When life seems to be against you and everything seems to be going downhill and deliverance seems impossible, remember the greatness of the gift of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.32 says, He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Not only did he freely forgive you, but he also imputed Christ's righteousness to you. He reconciled you into his family, made you a joint heir with his son, Jesus Christ. He saved you through his son. He sanctifies you through his Holy Spirit. All these gifts are a part of the measureless bounty of a loving God toward his people. Paul saw that it was through these great doctrinal truths 
that God will supply all the needs of his children. That is why the first three chapters of Philippians are doctrinally centered. The fourth chapter is the application of that doctrine. And as you can see, it culminates in this idea of God supplying all of your needs in Jesus Christ. This is why so many fail in getting their supplies. They don't want to study the doctrinal portions of the book. But dear people, you will never comprehend how to apply truth without first understanding the doctrine. And let me make clear here. I'm not talking about understanding all the depth of these doctrines. I'm talking about understanding the basics of them. Who Christ was. What God did for us through Christ. Paul declares with great enthusiasm. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Everyone. Everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ is weak and totally unable in and of themselves to live this Christian life in perfection. If you feel like your weaknesses as strongly as I do at times, and I feel them really, you surely wonder, why in the world would God ever want to meet any of my needs? The wonderful truth, what we hold on to here, is God's goodwill is not dependent upon our merit nor our effort to believe and be obedient. It's entirely based on the grounds of the person and work of Jesus Christ. All your needs are met in him. That's the basic doctrine. It's one of those basic doctrines you just need to have cemented in your heart. Those needs are all grounded in the doctrines Paul laid out in chapters 1 through 3. Christ is the mediator. He is the intercessor. It is because of his atoning death you have forgiveness. It is through his work on Calvary's cross you have peace. You are treated as sons and daughters because you are in Christ. You were made righteous through his obedience. You were seen as holy through the gift of his Holy Spirit. You have eternal life through the gift of his perfect life. It's through Jesus Christ that God is in you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? These are the unchangeable doctrinal truths. And they don't depend on your changeable feelings or circumstances. You are called to focus your undivided attention on the person of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. To any who stand apart from Christ, I want to ask you, what do you lack in your life? What's missing? Come and seek it in him. He has what you need to be, be it faith or repentance. What a great promise this verse gives. You can come to Jesus Christ. You can come to him with all of your needs. You can pile them at his feet and leave them. He'll meet them all in his time. He will receive your every need and will renew your faith. He will be the source of everything you will ever need. He is the source of eternal life itself. Come. Come. Place your hope. Place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
You are our God. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all the starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the host of heaven worship you. You are also the one who did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all. How will you not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We come this morning because we believe you are our gracious and merciful God. Receive our praise that it might mingle with the host of heaven to bring glory to you and to you alone. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.